have to help me. We were, we did not meet last Wednesday night because of such implement weather. <clears throat> but I think that we are about to get into Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. So I think I'll direct our time and our attention in that particular, at that particular point. Let me review just a little bit. Of course, I naturally feel the need to do that because it's several days since we were back uh, with each other. It's several days, a week or so, a couple of weeks now since we were in the book of Job. So it always helps to refresh the mind and refresh the memory. And the very thing that Job wanted has now taken place. God is now speaking to Job and, and speaking to the three friends, the four friends, really. And he begins this discussion back in chapter 38. He gives quite a science quiz in chapter 38. He talks about the stars, the constellations. He talks about all these particular matters, which is designed to get Job to see, I'm in control of all these things and you are not. Keep in mind the point of this is that Job had been asking God for an opportunity to explain himself and defend himself so that he could be uh, relieved of the suffering that he's going through. Job is going through tremendous suffering. We talked about that. The reason for the suffering, of course, was a test, a test of his faith. God allowed the test. It was Satan that was putting him through the suffering, not God. But Job didn't know, he didn't understand, but yet he remained faithful, faithful to God all the way through the course of this debilitating action and time. And in doing so, he remained faithful to God and God was pleased with him. However, God uh, is, um, I was going to say scold. I don't think scold is the right word here. I, I think God is very plain with him about who he is and what he is. He's a creation of God. He's not God. And he's not in any position to criticize God. He's not in any position to tell God how to run things. And that's the point of each of these particular matters that we come across. By the time you get to chapter 39, he's talking about the animals. And in 39, he talks about the mountain goats, and he talks about the deer, and he talks about the donkeys. And, and his basic point in all of this is that I take care of these. I feed these. I, I see after these. I set all this in order. It continues to go as I put them in place. And the rhythm of the world and the rhythm of the universe and the consistency of the universe is the result of God and his divine action and his continual care of our world. Some of these interesting animals, such as the wild ox in verse 9, the ostrich in verse 13, these are unusual animals and they bring to mind the fact that, you know, as all, all of these great animals... <coughs> Even though you don't understand them, you don't realize what they are. You don't understand why they do what they do, but I do. And that's God's point. He is saying, I set all these matters in motion, and I understand it. And then he talks about this war horse. The war horse in about verse 19. I'm in the latter portion of chapter 39. I'm reviewing just a little bit. And this war horse, he's ready for action. And, and if you haven't, go back and read the characteristics and the qualities of this great animal which God has created and he says now you know who could um, who could handle a beast like that well you couldn't do it I'm the one that created this great animal you're inferior with regard to being able to take care of this horse you're incompetent in order to take charge Job, of course, as a human being, is, 
is at the height of God's creative power, of course. But his point is he's trying to show Job how humble he should be. God takes care of this animal, and God gives it the quality that he does. He talks about the hawk in verse 26. That's pretty amazing. And then we looked at verse 30. I, it says here, the hawk, his young ones also suck up blood. I think he's probably talking about vultures there or birds of prey. Um, God has set all of that in order. So I'm in chapter 40, and that's probably a good place for us to begin. And this is where um, we have um, God mentioning to Job. Then the Lord said to Job, chapter 40 and verse 2, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. So it's a pretty sharp uh, rebuke of Job. Um, I guess rebuke is a good word there. Pretty uh, sharp rebuke. Don't argue with God. Now, Job tried to do that back in chapter 13. He tried to argue with God. He tried to argue that God, was, God uh, wasn't doing the job right. God wasn't seeing after things like he should be seeing after things. And that was his point. And he brings that up a number of times. But Job gives a reply here, and I think we may have actually mentioned that. Then Job answered and said, answered the Lord and said, verse 4, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. So he refers to his own silence there, and it should have been that way all along. He should never have brought doubt with regard to, to God. Now, the point that I keep insisting on, and, and we'll see why a little later as we get into 41 and some other passages like that, is that Job still was faithful to God. Even though his faith was tried, even though it was difficult for him to understand, even though he was wanting to know and he said things, and I'm sure said things out of the throes of intense suffering and might not have been quite like he would have thought about things if it hadn't been that way, but yet he did say rash things. And he admits that here. He said, behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I'm not going to say a thing. And that was the right response for Job. He begins to understand here how great God is, and it's very easy to see that point. Now, by verse 6, we see God's second speech with regard to Job. It's an interesting speech. We're going to see a couple of animals here called the behemoth and the leviathan. And we'll talk about these two great animals uh, which God had created and the point uh, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, that's the whirlwind you'll remember, and said, Now gird up the loin, your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. So we're going to turn the tables here just a little bit, and you be God for a while. And you tell me what it's all about. Will you really annul my judgment? In other words, would you try to change the judgment of God? Would you try to do something different from what God has actually done it? Uh, or do you, uh, will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like this? Well, when he talks about the arm, these are called anthropomorphisms. An anthropomorphism is talking about God in human terms. God doesn't have an arm. God doesn't have a face. We talk about the face of God and the mind of God and all that sort of thing. God is a spirit. And John chapter 4 and 24. And so, but it is poetic language to talk about his arm, his hand, 
his strength. And that is the point of the word arm here. Will you really annul my judgments or do you have an arm like God? Do you have power like God's got? An arm. Arm is used here to refer to the power of God. It's an anthropomorphism. Don't think that God has an arm. Um, God see. Well, he doesn't see like with eyes of flesh like we do. These are anthropomorphisms. And can you thunder with a voice like his? In other words, do you have the strength that's equal with God? And the answer to that is no. You don't have it. We're not in a position to fight against God, question God, second-guess God. We're not in a position to say, God, you should have done it this way. All of these are vital mistakes once we see how great God is. Now, we're going to play a little game here. Maybe that's the way to say it. Sometimes I struggle with using the exact right word, but let's let you, Job, play God for a while. Now, let's see what he says, and maybe you can help me say it better. Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity. Before you play God, you've got to dress like God. And to dress like God, you've got to adorn yourself. You've got to put on eminence, verse 10, and dignity, and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. And so if you're going to be God for a day, then you're going to have to clothe yourself that way. Pour out the overflowing of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. So how are you going to handle this? Now, hypothetically speaking, you're going to be God for the day. You remember it used to be when I was a boy, there used to be a television program that came on. It's called Queen for a Day. Now, you ever remember that? Now, why did I remember that? I do not know. I was just a little kid. And, uh, but for some reason, that, that show really got my attention, and I never missed an episode of Queen for a Day. Uh, I'm not going to go into what it's about, but anyway, it's one of those shows. Some of you uh, know what I'm talking about, TV programs. But um, I think that's what causes me to think of this when I look at this passage here. He said, I'm going to let you play God for a day. That's all hypothetical. It's not literal. He's not literally going to do that. Man can't do that. But he's trying to get him to think and to reason over the fact, you can't do what I do. You need to know that. You're not in a position to second guess me or question me. As verse 11 clearly points out, pour out the overflowings of your anger on whom? the proud and the arrogant and bring him low. Look upon everyone who is proud and humble him. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. If you could do that, then guess what God would do? Bind them in the hidden place, then I will also confess to you. It's an amazing passage. You're never going to find another one like it in the Bible. Where God is saying to this man, let's let you be God for a day. And if you could do this thing then I'd confess you. But obviously he can't. No one can. That your own right hand can save you. Now it's the hand that is to save. And sometimes it's the arm. Sometimes it is the hand, the hand of the Lord. Sometimes is referred to in this fashion, showing the might of God. And so it's an interesting hypothetical to help the man see how out of place he really is 
to question and second-guess God. Now, Job's not the only one to do that. I mean, there are a lot of people that have done that. A lot of people do that today. They think of themselves as being God. They think of themselves as knowing as much or more than God does. Um, they think that um, because they know so much about the world and the universe or whatever there is attached to it, they're scientific minds and they know everything there is to know. And, and so nobody second guess or question them. But, you know, that proud kind of attitude in face of God is diminished. And he introduces us to verse 15. And behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. What did God make? God made behemoth and he made Job. I made both of you. Behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. I made you too. Now look at this great animal. Now the translators did not translate the word. This is a Hebrew word, behemoth. It means, it can mean anything. Basically it means beast. It means a beast. It means a huge beast. Um, whatever that means. It's an animal. It is behemoth. Uh, so they transliterated it. They did not translate it for us. But he gives us some qualities about the behemoth that we start guessing what kind of thing this is. And maybe you can tell me what kind of thing this is. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, I got that. Uh, but notice how strong this thing is. Behold now his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. All right. What is it? <laughs> it's big, it's bad. Yeah. The commentaries are going to say hippopotamus. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, that's true that they're not to eat that part of the uh, calf. Um, this shows the loins or the thighs, the, the loins, the sinews, the muscle, that part of it was unclean for them to eat. The, uh, he describes how strong this thing is. Now, I don't know what it is. All right, you, th you vote for brontosaurus. Brontosaurus wouldn't be a bad guess, uh, but would that have survived the flood? I don't know. Well, this is post-flood, I would think. And now we wrestle with the date many times here on this book, uh, and it's very early, but I would say it's post-flood. Could a brontosaurus have survived this flood? May, were there brontosauruses in the ark? Maybe so. I don't know. I'm asking because I don't know. But now brontosaurus sounds like this kind of animal, doesn't it? But I don't know what it is. Yes, ma'am. Well, now that's the problem with that. A hippopotamus doesn't have a tail like a cedar. Yes, sir? Hippopotamus or the elephant. But an elephant doesn't have much of a tail either. Now see, here we go. Now this, he bends his tail like a cedar. Verse 17, the sinews of his thighs 
are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. And so we're trying to identify, trying to identify what kind of animal is, and we're not going to be able to do it. I don't know. Um, hippopotamus is as good as any, I guess. Well, the tail doesn't fit. Yeah. Brontosaurus, was that a vegetable eater? Is that a plant eater? Okay. Diplodocus, yeah. Well, I'm having trouble with that, too. But uh, we're all guessing. We're all guessing, aren't we? And that's it. I don't think we need to know it to get the point. It's a large land animal that nobody could tame. That, uh, frankly, I'm glad that brontosauruses and diplodocuses are dead and gone. I'd hate to have to fight a brontosaurus on the way to work every day. I mean, you would have these signs, brontosaurus crossing. You don't have to watch. I mean, this. I'm glad we don't have that anymore. Um, the point of it is this, to God, it's a little puppy dog. It's like, it's like a lap dog to God. To Job, you can no way control that thing. There's no way you can handle that thing. There's no way that you can outdo that thing, but it's nothing to God. And that's the point of this whole Discussion: how great God is and how small and insignificant man really is. Now, man is, as I said before, the apex of God's creation. There's nothing greater than man, crea man being created by God. Uh, he created the animals, he created the plants, created the world, but the greatest part of his creation was man. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the greatest creation of God, was man. But yet... In comparison to the size and the strength and the power and the awesomeness of this particular creature with such physical strength, the man is no comparison to that, be it as nothing to God. He is the first of the ways of God, verse 19. Let his maker bring near his sword. Surely the mountains bring him food. All the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plants he lies down. Now this begins to sound like a hippopotamus. And uh, in the cover, covert of the reeds and the marsh, the lotus plants cover him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. If a river rages, he is not alarmed. He is confident, though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. Can anyone capture him when he is on watch? With barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? Verse 24. Well, can you capture a beast like that? The answer is no, you can't. You don't have the ability to do it. But I think as we pointed out, the point that we are to glean from this is it's nothing to God. It's nothing for God. But for you as a human being, Job, there's no way you can handle that. Now, we're kind of looking into the habitat. We're looking into the qualities. We're looking into the characters. And everybody's got his own view. Everybody's got his own opinion as to what kind of animal behemoth is. It could be any huge beast. That's all that word means. 
big beast. Big animal, whatever that is. Somebody said, I read somewhere, says rhinoceros. <laughs> well, maybe so. I don't know. Rhinoceros, what else? Oh, the ox. The ox. Buffalo. Stuff like that. Well, yeah, okay. I think, we're, I think it's going to be um, fruitless to try to identify and come down with anything with surety with regard to the type of animal we're talking about. But the point is very clear. The point is he's nothing compared to God, and he's just a little plaything as far as God is concerned. Notice how fierce he is. Can anyone capture him when he is on watch? With barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? I don't know. Now we've got another thing here, verse four, uh, chapter 41, verse 1, called Leviathan. And Leviathan seems to be a great sea creature. Seems to be, again, we're transliterating, we're not translating, but Leviathan is a great sea creature, that kind of thing. Now, okay, you said it, crocodile, is that what you said? You're being influenced by these commentaries, I can see that. Crocodile, the what? Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness Monster. I was at Loch Ness. I preached in... Uh, England and up through there, and I was at Loch Ness, a beautiful place. I kept looking for that thing, but I didn't see it. Um, the Loch Ness Monster, okay. Uh, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a, with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose? Or pierce his jaw with a hook? Um... So basically what God is asking with these rhetorical questions is, can you capture this thing? And the answer is no. Job can't do that. This whole discussion at this particular point in time is, think about it, Job. Think about how insignificant man is. Think about how great man really is. And these great animals that you are unable to cope with and unable to handle, it's nothing for God. Or pierce his jaw with a hook. Now, most of your commentaries, for some reason, are going to follow the alligator motif here. They're going to say, this is alligator, crocodile type of thing. I don't know if that works or not. There are some similarities here, I think, to a crocodile. Will he make many supplications to you? Or will he speak to you soft words? In other words, do you think you can domesticate him like your pet dog? Do you think you can make a pet out of him? God can. For as far as God is concerned, he does it. Will you take him for a servant forever? Can you make a pet out of this? Leviathan? Obviously not. Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for your maidens? Will the traders bargain over him? Um, can you buy him and sell him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons? or his head with fishing spears, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle, you will not do it again. Now that to me, verse eight, uh, is pretty telling. Put your hand on that thing, see what happens. You won't do it a second time. Um, go ahead and try to wrestle with that thing. You'll remember the battle and you won't try it again. Remember the battle, you'll not do it again. Behold, your expectation is false. 
Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? So the floor is open for suggestions as to what, <laughs> what Leviathan is. The point is still the same as it was with Behemoth. The Leviathan, we do not know. It's some sea creature of some sort. Maybe it's a crocodile. I don't know. Yeah, well, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get to that in a minute. Well, dragon, we'll talk about dragons <laughs> in a minute. Yes, sir. Mike. And I think that's the benefit of us studying this and looking at this is to help us see that, that how great and awesome God really is and that we need to come to realization with our feet on the ground. I'm a human being. I'm not God. And Job needs to remember that as well. And God in his own way is teaching him that in a powerful way by means of this illustration. Now, you know, we're always involved in things like try to identify this, try to identify that. Crocodile is probably as good as anything else, but that doesn't fit all of the descriptions. But like you pointed out, I mean, the point here is to show how great God is and how weak and frail man really is. Uh, I've often thought this verse 8 is almost humorous. Remember, you know, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You'll not do it again. Sir. Well, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, I don't have any doubt about that. Job knew what he's talking about. Now, I think Rich is right about that, that uh, God would not be speaking to him in this way if Job didn't know, but Job did know. Job knew what he was talking about. I like the latter part of that. It says, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Yeah, there you go. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, verse 11. It is by right of creation. He created it all. And he governs it and he maintains it. He takes care of Leviathan, whatever Leviathan is. And um, I don't know what it is. The thing is, how can you expect to challenge a thing like that? If you can't challenge a thing like that, how are you going to challenge God who created that? That's the point. Now, you can't challenge that. Well, how are you going to challenge God who created Leviathan? You got it all backwards. Um, no one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. What was that? Verse 10. Will you lay your low even at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? Who has given... Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. 
I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his orderly frame. Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth there is terror. Now this is why so many have jumped on the crocodile as uh, the point of reference here. Who can open the doors of his face? He's talking about his jaws. Who's going to be able to open up the jaws of this thing? Nobody. And it seems like the scaly um, epidermal layer of this particular creature is, has, a, has a scale to him like a coat of mail as a protection. His teeth are a terror, and his strong scales are his pride. And they're so close you couldn't pry them apart. Shut up as with a, right, a tight seal. They're so closely knit together, they're impenetrable. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them, verse 16. So we're looking at characteristics of this animal. And um, it could very well be that this is an animal that no longer exists. It could be a prehistoric animal that's not here anymore. One that we do not know. Personally, I'm glad this thing doesn't exist. What was that movie? Captain Ahab. Uh, Captain Ahab is after the white whale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a movie. Oh, man, I remember the first time I saw that. Whoa. Um, that whale and uh, uh, going after that thing in those boats, uh, trying to find that. And, you know, I know that's a story, but yet that whaling business and industry went on for so long, and it was quite a thing. And no doubt people lost their lives involved in that venture to try to capture beasts like that. And who knows what's out there? under, you know, the water. Who knows what's out there? I don't know what's out there. Um, the, I don't know that there's a Leviathan out there, but there's some big stuff out there. Big whales, uh, orca whales, sperm whales. There's all kinds of blue whales, huge creatures. We're at a museum one time, and they had a, a skeleton of a, what was that, a blue whale? It was huge. It was huge. Uh, the skeleton of that thing was amazing. And yet God is the one who created it. Who, what man could think that they could go up and challenge that? I don't know that that fits this description, though. They are joined one to another, verse 17. They clasp each other with, and cannot be separated. He sneezes, flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of the mouth come burning torches Sparks of fire leap forth, verse 19. All right, Scott, what do we got going there? Hmm? A fire-breathing dragon. I don't know. Was there such a thing as a fire-breathing dragon? Not now, but maybe God created one back then. Okay, maybe so. I don't know. Maybe so. Now, I'm not going to discredit that. Who am I to talk about that? I don't know. Um, 
Yeah. 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 Well, it could be. Now, I, I, can see, I can see where a creature seems to be so fierce that the next generation exaggerates him and the next generation after that exaggerates a little more and the next generation exaggerates a little more where you had some kind of fierce creature, but maybe it appeared like it was breathing fire. I don't know. Maybe there was something like when it clacked its jaws together. Um, yeah. Well, it's real. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's real. They found a skeleton on one of those things, you know. The head and the jaws and everything. They knew it was a female because the jaws were still clacking. But at any rate, <clears throat> let me get back down here now to the text. I'm in verse 18 now. Let's don't drift from the point. <laughs> His sneezes flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, sparks of the fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke comes forth, as from a boiling pot and a burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes forth from his mouth. In his neck lodges strength and dismay leaps before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as a stone. Well, we're in poetry here, you see. And uh, we've got to understand and remember that, that we've got some poetic license going on here. And, and um, I don't know that we can take all of this as literally as we might like to take it as Westerners, but we are involved in in Hebrew poetry, so when he's talking about his heart is as hard as a stone, I'm sure he means that he has no feeling for any other, there's no tenderness, there's no sympathy about him whatsoever, he has a stony heart. Yes, sir? Somebody? Anybody have a comment or a question? Um, then, even as hard as a, lower, as a lower millstone, when he raises himself up, the mighty fear because of the crashing they are they are bewildered it is dismay that they they are filled with anxiety and fear the sword that reaches him cannot avail nor the spear the dart or the javelin he regards iron as straw bronze as rotten wood um, you know I think we got poetic license going here showing how great and how powerful and how strong the arrow cannot make him flee sling stones are are turned into stubble for him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. He laughs at the rattling of the javelin. Uh, his underparts are like the sharp potsherds. He spreads out like a threshing sledge on the mire. What's he getting at there? I'm, I'm trying to understand this myself. You can help me. Verse 30, what do you think he's getting at? Now that seems to be a crocodile to me as he slides across the slime or the clay, the imprint of his... Um, Scaly uh, skin uh, leaves the impression, the threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the depths boil like a pot. So what do we got going there? I mean, 
I mean, once he gets stirred up, all the water's boiling and everything's going along at, like it is um, churning up the water. And he makes the sea like a jar of ointment. Now, I can help a little bit with that. The ointment of the ancient times, of course, as they would cook it and boil it and try to make it, it would kind of foam up, that kind of thing. And I think that's what he has here in the process of making ointments and medicines and things of that sort in ancient times. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment, the foam of it and, and the... Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that sounds like 31, doesn't it? Yeah. And behind him he makes a wake to shine. In other words, as he goes through the water, he continues to um, um, make the, his presence known. And I suspect that what he's talking about there is the idea of, um, you know, maybe turning up the vegetation or something as he goes through the water. And you can see where his path is. I'm guessing, I don't know. Yeah, wake. Behold uh, him, he makes a wake or, or to shine. One would think the deep to be gray-haired. Nothing on earth is like him. That's true. One, one made without fear. He's not afraid of anything. He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. It doesn't matter what animal it is. He doesn't fear it. And he is a predator of it. So I'm open for suggestions as to what you think this thing might be. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like it, that's for sure. The Leviathan. So it's, you know, the actual identification of the creature is impossible. It could very well be it doesn't exist today. Maybe there was something like that, and it doesn't exist today. Maybe so, I don't know. Yes? Mm. Well, my problem with that is, did they survive the flood? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Right. Well, there you go. Brontosaurus has been suggested, and I think maybe so, but how do you get that from the flood? I don't know. I would think that that would be extinct by the time that Job wrote his book. I don't know. I don't know. Little bitty dinosaurs got in the ark, and that there they... Well, okay. Okay, there you go. And then they survived the flood that way. That's a possibility. We're speculating. And that's okay. Um, sir, yes, sir. Mike. Well, everything died, except what was in the ark. Everything died. I mean, it's destroyed, unless it's in the ark, and God saved it. But now, my question is, where am I dating this book? And that's been a problem from the very beginning. I always looked upon it as post-flood patriarchal times, and, but it's very early. Uh, and we're in this particular discussion trying to figure out what this beast is. 
The point is, it's nothing compared to God. That's the point. We don't want to ever forget that. Now, the point's obvious. I have no question about what the point is. Job, you can't challenge a beast like that. You certainly can't challenge God. Had Job tried to challenge God? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Danny. And Job knew, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think. Exactly. Job knew what he was talking about. Job knew what God was talking about. He was getting the point. Yes, sir. When he says he sees everything that is high, that takes the outside of the alligator off the Okay. A T-Rex? Okay. Now, Godzilla's already been offered, been suggested. Um, have you ever eaten an alligator? Yes. How do you like it? <laughs> it's a little tough for me. I just don't care for alligators. I don't know what part I ate. All I did was bring it out on the plate, and that's all I ate. Of course, when you bring food out for me on the plate, I eat it. I don't care what it is. All right, chapter 41. Anybody else have a comment or question about chapter 41? Yes, sir. Yeah, right. Yeah, that could be something else. Could be referring to it. I likened it to the idea he's, at the, he's the apex predator. He's right at the top. Uh, and he's not afraid of anything. Yeah. He is king. He's king over all the sons of pride. He's king over all the beasts. Whatever. Sir? All right, anybody else? Anybody else? Well, I'm ready for chapter 42, and we will bring it all to an end in chapter 42. It will be a, uh, yeah, it'll be, it has been quite a journey to go through this book of Old Testament poetry. And I'm going to suggest and ask for your um, advice and counsel that we study the book of Psalms. And what I would like to do is categorize the Psalms, not start with just Psalm 1 and then go to 2 and go to 3, but let's look at the Psalms like from the standpoint of the sovereignty of God, and we'll put all those Psalms together in that category, and then we'll go through that with that main point in mind, and then will those praise Psalms, praising God, we'll pick those Psalms out and put those together as a category and study those, and we'll look at the different categories that the psalmist has uh, given to us and study them from that perspective. Now that's what I have in mind. If you have some idea that you'd like to uh, cover and discuss, I'm always open and happy to listen to you about that. Yes, sir. And yeah, and there's different ways to study it, isn't it? And there's a lot about the psalm, the nature of psalms and the nature of the book that needs to be understood as well. So there's a lot to study there.
Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some handout sheets and some questions to answer, and uh, uh, that way that might be able to help you. And then I need to get you some handout sheets for 41 and 42. Comment or question before we go? The second bell rung? No. I can't believe it. I still got time left over. This is so unusual. Pardon? Then Job answered the Lord and said, we'll continue on with it. I know that you can do all things. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? You can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ain't it the truth? There you go. He's learning the point here. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. This is his admission. Job is doing the talking here. He's confessing. I said things I should have never said. That's true. I talked about things I didn't have any understanding or knowledge about. That is true. We got to be careful we don't fall in the same trap. Uh, here now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. By now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Verse 6, that is a godly man. That is a godly man that we just read. He's repented and God knows that. Have you seen my servant Job? How that there's not another like him on the face of the earth. Satan comes along and says, well, it's because you've built a fence around him and hedged him in and, and made him prosper. But you'll see that if... I take his health away and everything away, he'll curse you to your face. But he never did that. He always kept going to Job and looking to, uh, going to God and looking to God as the answer to the problems that he was facing. And I think we see now the conclusion of this particular matter in the life of Job, chapter 42, 1 through 6. 1 through 6. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. We're going to... We're going to wait on that until next time, I think, because I got some things. It's going to take me some time to, to do that, and I want to do it properly. So let me save the rest of this for next time. But you're right. You're right. This is what explains the whole situation for us. And then we got some principles and points that we want to remember. And as you look at about verse 10 on through verse 17, then you see that uh, God gave Job back everything that he lost and then some. Yeah, and then some. All right, why don't we have a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day and its many blessings. We're thankful for your love and care. We realize how great you are. We try our best to understand your divine nature. And we're grateful for your mercy, your kindness, your long-suffering toward us. Forgive us of our sins, Heavenly Father. Give us a home with you forever and ever. Be with this congregation as we continue to grow in our love for you and our love for your word. Be with us now. Give us safe trips home and, and a pleasant evening tonight and then rise tomorrow to work and serve you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.